0: Philippians 2 verse 5 in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father would you pray with me please oh father thank you for these words which uh, just reveal your amazing heart and love for us and the the extent Jesus, that you were willing to go to in order to reach out to us right where we are in the midst of everything we were going through in order to raise us up and restore us to a relationship with yourself. Well, open our eyes, I pray, again today to the, to the true meaning of Christmas, what Christmas really meant for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Okay, I'm gonna confess to you all this morning one of my all-time favorite songs. I'm actually gonna sing it for you. (laughs) People looked up like, oh, that sounds painful. (laughs) No, I'm just gonna sing a little bit, okay? Um, It's actually a very sad song. Um, and I won't try to sing it like the original performer. I'll just kind of, uh, this is how it goes. You'll probably get the gist of it. As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morn A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mama cries if there's one thing she don't need it's another hungry mouth to feed, hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto And then this is how it ends As a crowd gathers round an angry young man face down on the street with a gun in his hand in the ghetto And her young man dies on a cold and gray Chicago morn another little baby child is born in the ghetto and his mama cries. Anybody know who sang that? Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, yes. It's, got a, it's, it's one of my all-time favorite songs. I listen to it pretty regularly. Because it, if, you, if you listen to go to YouTube and listen to the whole song if you haven't heard it. It's a powerful song challenging us to see the people we don't see. Uh, like this, little little babies being born and dying in the ghetto. You know the circumstances into which a baby a, a baby is born are, are very different, aren't they? Whether a baby is born in a modern American hospital with all the latest medical equipment or in a makeshift cardboard shelter in the slums of Calcutta or the slums of the Philippines, with the father acting as a midwife. The circumstances into which babies are born are very different. We're a very spoiled people. Some of my, some of my most memorable moments are the moments we experienced when we lived in the Philippines for three years. And one of them is with a young man that I got to know when we lived in Batonga City when we were studying Tagalog and uh, he was a shoe shine boy he was probably nineteen years old uh, he shined shoes in order to um, make his living and that and uh, along with he had a young wife and a little baby boy and um, I got to know him I I wore tennis shoes, so I didn't <laughs> need my tennis shoes shine, but kind of as I would walk by him all the time, I just stopped and kind of built a relationship with him to the point to where he invited me uh, several times to his home. In order to get to his home, um, you had to walk on raised walkways over sewage for blocks. Lived in a, in a slum area. Um, in kind of a makeshift you know tin shanty one room uh, about the size of the roasting room probably even smaller than that with his wife his little baby boy everything in that one little room Um, isn't it amazing the life that that little baby was born into I'm guessing that little baby if he survived such unhygienic circumstances and uh, such difficult circumstances. I'm guessing, it's just a guess, that he probably um, didn't make it into Harvard Law School. If he survived at all. Think of the difference between a baby born in a hut in Papua New Guinea That's in Indonesia, if you're not familiar. Uh, Compared to a baby born the same day into the home of a millionaire or billionaire in the United States of America. Or to a family uh, which is heir to the British throne. Circumstances amazingly different into which babies are born. Can we even begin to imagine if you've never been out of the United States and never much maybe ventured in even to larger inner cities can can we even imagine the difference being uh, being born into an an upper-class or a middle-class just family in the United States compared to being born into the depths of poverty in an aid AIDS ridden village in Africa or an impoverished com- country groaning under a despotic ruler like North Korea? Amazing difference, isn't it? Would you choose to be born into an AIDS ridden village in Africa or into a, a little community in North Korea? Well, of course not. But That is exactly, and this is what I want you to get this morning, that is exactly what the Christmas story is all about. God deliberately choosing to be born into such an environment. And what I want us to understand is the incredible, again, just to be reminded, to, to be floored again this morning, with the depths of the sacrifice, the depth of the love of our God who deliberately chose to be born into the AIDS-ridden village of Africa or the impoverished community in North Korea. The slums, the ghetto of Chicago. That's what Christmas is all about. It's amazing. It's, even too, it's really too incredible to even admit if, if you remember back in Matthew when the, the three magi arrive in Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2. They've traveled all the way from Persia and they're inquiring, where is, we've been following the star, which in itself is an amazing story, probably goes way back to Daniel being in Persia being the chief of the Magi and passing on the prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. And, and they've been waiting and now the star's there and they follow that star to Jerusalem and they ask in Jerusalem, Where, where's, where's the Messiah? We, we've come to look for him. It's amazing how the religious leaders respond. They say, well, there's a, a prophecy in Micah and the prophecy says that he's going to be born in this this famous town in Bethlehem, this important town in Bethlehem, this well-known town in Bethlehem, and that's not at all what it said. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it said that there was nothing important about Bethlehem. But see, we can't. that's what's too incredible for us to even understand about the Christmas story because we want to embellish it. We want to think, well, there must have been something amazing about Bethlehem. Or something amazing about being born in a feeding trough. Or something amazing about being born to a poor young couple. Or something amazing about this earth that would cause the God creator of the universe to come down and be born here. But it's just too incredible to understand is what the story is. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. You know for us Christmas is... I mean, it's a beautiful time of year. It's about um, as Cindy and I were driving last night. She, I mean, she commented about the beautiful lights. Don't you love? And uh, near where the White Bifford household is, there's a, a street there. That's what's the name? What's Candy the street? Candy? K- well, no, it's not Candy Cane Lane. It's yeah, it's not that one. It's one. It's one like one street away on Perry from Wyoming. It's Gorgeous, it's just full of the houses, the yards are, and that's what Christmas is about beautiful lights, it's about amazing music like Cindy Sherry Handel's Messiah. One of my all time favorite songs, Oh Holy Night, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> and Forget that one, okay? Um, (laughs) Scrumptious food and candy and more candy and more candy. For us, Christmas can be all those things and and is all those. and, And just another little note, if you know anybody that for them Christmas doesn't mean those things, you know, being with great friends, enjoying great food and great music and great lights and, and gifts, please bring them here Saturday night. There's going to be hundreds of gifts provided by the angel tree at the mall and, and a lot of other businesses and individuals. There's going to be a full turkey ham dinner. There's going to be music and the Christmas story. It's going to be a wonderful time. So if Christmas has been a horrible time for somebody you know, please invite them Saturday night. It's going to be a wonderful time just to bless them and encourage them. But you know, Christmas for Christ wasn't a beautiful thing. Christmas for Christ. Well, what did it mean? We read about it. Now, just look back at Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to look at two phrases here. Two phrases. And it's absolutely... Incredible to understand what Christmas really meant for Christ so that for us, Christmas could be amazing, an amazing celebration. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, picking up from the two words before. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. That's the first thing we need to to get if we understand what Christmas meant for Christ is that this is Christ in his very nature from eternity. He was, he is, he will always be God. So the baby that we're talking about that was born in Bethlehem was and is and always will be God. That's how he existed from eternity. From eternity, he was spirit, eternal, perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, all-glorious God. That's Jesus. He's the I Am, as I shared a couple of weeks ago. The I Am. When, when he said, before Abraham was born, I Am. The I Am described in Exodus chapter 3, that's... Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, who being in very nature God. We've got to get that. That's Jesus. The one that the angels sang to in in Isaiah chapter 6, when they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come, the one that they're gonna to sing to in, in the book of Revelation, holy, 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 the eternal spirit, all knowing, all powerful, everywhere present God. That's Jesus, who being in very nature God. You know, to understand this, I want keep your finger on Philippians, but go back to Psalm one thirty nine, if you would, Psalm one thirty nine. If you're looking for a psalm to memorize, this is a great one. I want you to see, we're going we're to just quickly read through the first 16 verses. And I want you to follow along. Notice verses 1 to 6 to start with. This is a, just an, kind of a, a psalm adoring and describing God. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me, David says. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. In the first six verses, I want you to see it's describing the omniscience of God. He knows everything and has always known everything. Nothing that you do today will be a surprise to him. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And that's that's what's incredible about Jesus being in the very nature of God. We can't even understand being all-knowing. We're so limited in our knowledge, aren't we? And yet that's him being in the very nature of God. He was omniscient. He knew, has always known everything. Verse 7, omnipresent, meaning he as eternal spirit God was everywhere present. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will, lay hold, will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Because whether it's in the light or in the darkness, in the heights, in the depths, wherever you are, that's where God is. Everywhere. And that's Jesus from eternity past, being in the very nature of God, omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing, everywhere-present. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth you saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written before one of them came to be that's god our god all powerful creator of the universe even before we existed he knew he's the creator how precious excuse me verse 16 your I saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. That's God. That's Jesus, who being in very nature, God existed in this way and has always existed in this way from all eternity. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. But notice it says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Meaning, when he came (laughs) down here, I mean, he could have come that way, couldn't he? All-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present God. To redeem us, but that's not how he came. Verse 7 says, rather, he made himself nothing. The word literally means he emptied himself. Now what's really important to understand is what he didn't empty himself of, of because it would, would have been impossible to empty himself of, was being God. That's who he is. He's God. He can't not be that. But the word empty, literally, literally, and it's a strong word. I'm going to just, I I wrote some definitions. It can be translated to be made void, vain, empty, made useless, deprived of force. It's a strong word. And literally, it means that when he came down, God of very God, Jesus, in the nature of God, all-powerful, Everywhere present, all-knowing God, he came and laid all that aside, helpless, like you and me. And so when he came to be born, he came to be born exactly as we are born in the ghetto. I want to give you some verses just to help you see that. Look at Matthew 24:36. Matthew twenty four thirty six. Because I think a lot of us have this idea that Jesus came down and he kind of had a little advantage over us and and uh, came here. Kind of to, but I want Matthew twenty four thirty six. I'm not finding it here. Oh, here we are. New Bible, Matthew 24. Notice what, notice what it says. This is about Jesus. It says, this is Him speaking. He says, talking about the last days, He says, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor, nor the Son, not even Himself. not that amazing? But only the Father. That's how He came all-knowing God came and gave up that knowledge as a human being. Look at Luke chapter 5 verse 17. Luke chapter 5 verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of law were sitting there They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Which means what? It means that it would have been possible for the power of the Lord not to be present for him to heal the sick. If he hadn't been doing what the verse just before it says, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew To lonely places and prayed. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. It kind of, Jesus kind of reiterates this. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. It's a powerful phrase. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Isn't that amazing? The all-powerful God of the universe unable to do anything apart from the power of the Spirit and the Father that he's given himself into dependence upon. One, one more thing, Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Matthew 8, 20. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The reason I put that verse in there is because, you know, here he is, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, and everywhere present God, from eternity, Spirit God. And here he is having confined himself to a human body. Homeless. Not even having a place to lay his head. Like it says in Philippians chapter 2, boy, that's somebody that didn't come to take advantage of his powers and blow in and And rescue us. This is the incredible thing. He emptied himself. That's Christmas. He made himself nothing. Notice in in Philippians chapter 2, it says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And I'd love to talk about that for a long time. (laughs) If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 God created us in his image and likeness to have intimate relationship with him and to rule to rule and what happened Adam and Eve listened to the lie of the devil you can be like God well they were created in God's likeness but you can be like God they believed his lie They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, chose to be independent of God, and who became ruler? The devil. In the New Testament, he's called the God of this world. He's called the ruler, the prince of the power of the air, and we, humanity, became his slaves. And the Bible describes it slaves of sin and slaves of death and slaves of fear and, and slaves to the devil. And so when Jesus comes, notice what it says. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. He came down to be right on our level, where we were. Slaves to sin, slaves to death, slaves to fear, slaves to the devil. Being made in human likeness. Like I said in... In Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, God made us in his likeness. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, where it says, and I'll read it here, Genesis 5, 1 to 3, says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in his likeness, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he named them them mankind when they were created. Listen to this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. And so humanity flowed from Adam's fallen likeness. Adam's marred likeness and so in Philippians chapter 2 it says Jesus came made himself nothing being made in human likeness God reduces himself to human likeness to human brokenness notice what it says here it says And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In him was life, it says in John chapter 1. And his life gave life to humanity. And in Philippians chapter 2 we read, In him who is life, the creator of life, is death. Isn't that amazing? He emptied himself. Do we get it? Psalm 139, omniscient, <laughs> omnipresent, omnipotent God limits himself to not knowing, being confined to a human body, being dependent upon the Spirit and the Father to do anything. From holy, 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 <laughs> we hear... Nathaniel saying in John chapter 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't that amazing? From the adoration of angels to the misunderstanding of humans and their from from the worship to being despised and rejected and misunderstood. From being eternal God to being being time-bound, from being Spirit God who has no limits, He's limitless, He's infinite. To being limited to human body. And this is the amazing thing. That's what he has done for eternity by identifying himself with us. Do you get that? The eternal Jesus, the Son of God, with no limits, limited himself to identifying with us as human beings for eternity. That's what he that's what Christmas means. That's what Christmas meant to Christ for us. From a king's crown, the king of the universe, to a criminal's cross. just want to read one more verse. If you turn with me to Hebrews, it it summarizes it really well. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Actually, I'm going to to just start reading in verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too, Jesus, shared, and I'll put it in the first person, our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free us who all our lives have been held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it wasn't angels that he came to help. But Abraham's descendants, us, for this reason he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, our sins. And that's what Christmas meant to Christ. You know, Christmas has become... Such a rat race, hasn't it, for a lot of us? Um, Exhausting, financially draining, demanding, as if life didn't have enough of that to offer to start with. Too many bills, not enough money, too many problems, not enough solutions. But that's just it. That's not Christmas. Christmas. It's not what Christmas is supposed to be, adding to our exhaustion, adding to our indebtedness, adding to our emptiness, adding to our pain, because Christmas offers the answer. Christmas is the answer. Christmas is the Christ born in the ghetto for us, to redeem us to comfort us, to heal us, to give us hope, to restore us to relationship with God and show us that God hasn't given up on us. Despite our sinfulness and our rebelliousness, our honoriness, that in fact, he so loved us. John 3:16. God so loved us. You know, there's so much in that word, so loved us. <laughs> He so loved us, he so longed to be gracious to us that he left the worship, the adoration of the angels. He left the limitlessness, the infinity of being God. He entered right into our world of sin and brokenness, right into the ghetto, to the slums of Calcutta in the Philippines, the ghetto of Chicago the garbage of our lives, limited himself in so doing in a way that we will never comprehend in order that he might lift us out of our emptiness by invading our emptiness, might lift us out of our brokenness by entering into our brokenness and lift us back up into his beauty. And in a a nutshell, this is how I describe it. God who made us in his likeness, when we left that likeness, marred by our sin, he entered into our likeness so that he could raise us again back into his likeness, into relationship with him. It should make each one of us right now, whatever we're going through, whatever your pain, whatever your struggles, whatever your loneliness, whatever your hurt, whatever your problems, as we contemplate the Christ of Christmas to to hope again. Because Christmas is about how much he loved us. What he was willing to experience for us. in order that he might restore us. Let's pray. Father, oh, I, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, you would elevate our thinking to grasp afresh in a new little way the depths of your love, oh Jesus, for us that Christmas day 2,000 years ago. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you emptied yourself of, for what you experienced for us, so that we might know you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.